Right. Praise the Lord. Amen. What a joy to, to have everybody here present this morning. I feel very high. I feel very high looking, looking down low. This is a very long walk to freedom uh, right here. So um, it reminds me of the story of the reformers that apparently the pulpit was in the center of the reformation because it said the main point that the preaching of the word is central. Amen. And so uh, thankful to everyone who is here this afternoon from so many different walks of life and so many different churches. And it's really amazing to see different churches that believe the gospel, Bazalani, get together. Amen. And we get to see that though we may have different styles or whatever of doing things, but the same Jesus is who we are worshiping. Amen. And that's what is important, right? It's, it's, it's a time where we worship Jesus, we think about Jesus, we talk about Jesus. And I know that in all of our churches, we are very big on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my topic uh, this morning or afternoon, or what time it is, is the topic of our conference. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. If we can turn our Bibles to the book of First. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to acknowledge my wife, amen, amen. Uh, we have been criticized but we want to acknowledge our wives, so I want to acknowledge her, just her um, role and um, just her blessing, she is uh, in my life as we try to raise our children, and, um, so it's such a blessing to have her. I want to acknowledge the pastors as well here uh, as well and all those who are visiting here. Is it Pastor Carabo that I see uh, from Central Baptist in Rustenburg? Amen. Amen. I want to acknowledge him as well. Good to have so many friends uh, that we are here. I hope I don't break the pulpit. Uh, he will understand what we are talking about. The gospel changes Everything. So you know what, church, it's a tradition that when we read the word, we all we always stand. So if you don't mind standing up for the reading of the word of the Lord, it's not because we, it's a tradition, but it's out of reverence, out of respect for the word of the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 1, sorry, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. This is the word of the Lord. So let us listen. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you. Making mention of you in our prayers. Constantly keeping in mind your work of faith and labor of love and perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the presence of God and Father, knowing brothers and sisters beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sakes. Verse 6, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word during great affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example for all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. 
Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place, the news of your faith to what God has gone out. So that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us as to the kind of reception we had with you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we recognize the moment, the, the, the heavy moment that we are in right now as we read your word, when we are speaking to us. We are very conscious of the words of this book, that, Lord, if we add to this book, if we take away, oh, Father, we know that, Lord, you will, there will be great punishment for anyone who does that. And so we want to, yes, as it was said the last time, we want to preach Jesus, we want to see Jesus. We want to be changed by Jesus. Lord, help us to be changed by you. We are here because we want to be changed by Jesus. So I pray that to this end, that you would encourage us, you would speak to us, you would rebuke us, you would do whatever that you want to do from your word, so that, Lord, we can live this place changed by your spirit and by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And so even as we think about this title of this message, it's very, or the conference, it's very easy to have Easter as one of the things that we tick in the box, right? To have Easter as one of the things, some people they say they go to church twice a year, during Easter and during Christmas. And so as we talk about how the gospel changes everything, it's very much important for us to think about what it actually means for the gospel to take root in our own lives. My wife and I were recently celebrating our sixth birthday. Our son was turning six a couple of weeks uh, earlier. And so we were so proud of him just to look at how he has grown and just to be excited at what the Lord is doing in his life. And... One of the things that began to come into my mind was how I did not anticipate how children will change our lives. Can the parents say amen? amen? Children completely change your life. They are a game changer. I remember even speaking to my mom after being married for the first few years. I came to her and I'm like, Mom, what is the big deal about this marriage? I think we've got to figure it out. I think we're doing well in our marriage. And my mom looked at me and said, Wait until you have children. Wait until then your marriage is going to be challenged. And true it was. When we had kids, our marriage was challenged. Our marriage just began to take on a different um, field because now it's no longer about us, right? Now we had to learn that life would no longer be about us, but about them. We had to adjust to parenting together. We had to adjust to including them in our budget. We had to adjust to thinking, we can't just go out for a movie night. Mind you, question, Mrs. Puma, who's going to take care of the child? Having kids was a game changer. Having kids totally changes um, your marriage. And if we were to go out even now, 
and ask people outside the street and ask them, maybe you see and ask people, what do you think you need to change in your life? What do you think you need to change so that your life can become better? I think many of the people would tell us that they need to stop drinking. Many of the people would tell us that they need to come to church. Many of the people would tell us they, they need behavioral change in their life. Now, be, you know, being a good person is, is not a bad thing, right? We want good people. I would prefer that my neighbor be a good person or not be a murderer. That's a good thing. But what if I told you that the work of the gospel or the work that the gospel does is much more radical than that? It changes everything. It changes everything. It's not just a cosmetic change where you're changing clothes from wearing red or wearing blue, but it's a total wardrobe change. You need a new wardrobe. The gospel changes everything. It goes deeper than mere cosmetic change. Think about the fact that um, what would happen, what would happen if the gospel actually did not change anything? What would happen if we just came here during Easter, we heard the message, but really the gospel message that we hear is the same message that we hear from other messages and other faiths out there. What makes Christianity different? I put it to you that what makes it different is the fact that when we hear the gospel, what makes Christianity different, that it doesn't just merely change your behavior, but it actually changes everything. It changes you from the inside out. If it was the case that the gospel didn't change us, we wouldn't have any motivation for us to really go to church or for us to do anything that is biblical. What would motivate you on a Friday, on a holiday, to leave all the things you are doing and to come here and to listen to someone preaching for an hour and to just sing hymns for all these hours. What, what would really motivate you if the gospel didn't really do any fundamental work? So this, this morning I'm impressed. This morning I want to take from what the brother was preaching about the fact that the gospel is trustworthy and I want to move it forward and say that it's not only trustworthy, but it changes everything. Can you say amen? So there are two changes that the gospel does in our lives. And I think our text is going to give us two fundamental changes that the gospel does. These, these things change our priorities. These things change how we spend our time. These two things change how we, you know, what we watch on the weekend, who we spend our time with. These things change what, what we invest in, the resources that we choose to invest in. These two things change that. What are those two things? There's the relationship change and then there's a heart change. There's a relationship change. There's a heart change. Whenever anyone receives the gospel, there's always be these two changes. A relationship change and a heart change. Let's look at our text. Look at how Paul greets or opens the letter. He opens the letter by saying, To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Did you see that? If you were to just skim through the Bible, maybe when you read this part of the portion, you are falling asleep. But I want you to let you know that what, what Paul is saying here is huge. 
He's making a theological statement. Just by greeting. This is not normal. This is not a normal greeting. This is a theological statement that he's saying. By calling the Thessalonians in God and in Christ, he's acknowledging a change in relationship. By saying to the Thessalonians who are in God and in Christ, he's acknowledging that there's a change in their relationship with God. Amen. What theologians call our union with Christ. You see, what you need to understand about our relationship with God is that before this relationship, before they could be called in God and in Christ, they were in Adam. They were in Adam. I'll take you back to Genesis chapter 1. God creates the world. It's perfect. Amen. And that man is the pinnacle of creation. He has a unique, he has a perfect relationship with God. They are fellowshipping with one another. They are communing together. Adam and Eve dwelt in the presence of God. They are dwelling in union with God. But Genesis 3, the Bible says that they listened to the serpent. The serpent said, did God really say that you should eat from the tree? And they listened to the serpent and they bit the fruit and everything fell apart. They get away from the tree of life. They reject the word of God. There's no longer communion with God. There's no longer relationship with God. The rest of the Old Testament is really an illustration of how far away humanity is from God. The New Testament makes it explicit that the physical descendants of Adam are, theologically speaking, we are in Adam. We are in Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 to 21. Therefore, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted when there is no law. Verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even for those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. We were not simply like Adam. The Bible says we were in Adam. We were in Adam. Give an illustration of this. Bafana Bafana was playing the other time. We played against Liberia and we lost, right? And Liberia came back and we won. Why do you think we felt sad when Bafana Bafana lost? Why do we get excited when they won? We don't have anyone that we know in Bafana Bafana. We don't have a relative there. We are not connected to them in any way, but somehow our emotions are invested in whether they win. And when they lose, the whole country loses. When they win, the whole country wins. So it's the same thing. Adam was our representative, right? And so what was true of Adam by him being our representative becomes true of us. He sinned. We also sin. He received the punishment of sin by death. We are also counted as dead. But most importantly, he broke union with God and he forfeited that relationship that he had with God. There's so many places that the scriptures make this point but Mufundis even read it for us this morning I'll read it again Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 you were dead 
in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's our relationship before Christ. But Jesus came. Amen. But Jesus came, and as was explained from the last session, He died on the cross for us. Jesus comes and dies a death that we should have died. He lives the life that you and me should have lived. Jesus comes and then he takes God's hand and he takes our hand and he says, now there is no no more enmity. For those that would believe in Jesus, there is no more enmity. There's no more wrath between God and between man. Martin Luther illustrated this by illustrating it to a marriage. He says, faith unites us the soul with Christ in the same way that a bride is united with a bridegroom. As a result, they come to hold all things common, the good as well as the bad. Our sins, death, damnation now belong to Christ, while His grace, love, and salvation are now ours. For if Christ is a husband, He must take on himself if the things which belong to his bride. And he must give to her the things that are his. Not only that, he also gives us himself. Close quote. My name is Sbusiso. I'm married to Sifle. Beautiful Sifle. Thank you for emphasizing that. Amen. There's a couple of ways that you can describe our relationship. Uh, You can say that we are human beings. And I pray that no husband tells, or no husband tells their wife when he is asked, what are we? You say we are human beings. Uh, You are not going to suffer that night. But there's a couple of ways we can describe our relationship. We can say we are human beings. It's a true statement. It speaks of how we relate to one another. We also parents, right? We also parents to kids. But most fundamentally, we are married. Husband and wife. Everything else flows from our understanding of that relationship. It's similar when we think of our relationship with Christ. We are Christians, we are disciples, but most frequently, the most used word in the New Testament is that we are in Christ. In the beloved used over 240 times in the New Testament. The images the Bible uses to help, help us to grasp this relationship change. The Bible uses the image of marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, it compares Christ, says Christ is a bridegroom, and there's a marriage union with the bride. They become one flesh. What is the point? The point is that there's a legal change that takes place. The bride gets a new identity. He gets a new surname. He gets access to the husband's estate. He gets access to all his riches. All that is his becomes hers. 
and he protects her as a weaker vessel. Another image that explains our relationship with Christ is that of the vine. In John chapter 15, Jesus is the true vine and he says that we are the branches. And the Bible says we ought to abide in him. What's the point there of that image? There is no life in the branch itself. It gets its life, it gets its sustenance from the vine. Amen. Another image that the Bible uses to describe this awesome relationship we have is that of a building. In Ephesians 2.20, 1 Corinthians 3.1, Christ is the cornerstone, their foundation, we are the bricks. And what's the point of that illustration? We find our stability, our strength only in Him. If we are not joined to Him, everything else falls apart. Another image that the Bible uses to describe our relationship is that of the body. Is that of the body. Christ is the head, we are the members. The point is He's our wisdom. He gives direction. Without Him, we can do nothing. And also, so when you speak about the gospel and the Christian, we are not just talking about a small change. Amen. We're not talking about the fact that Shem, we're humans and we're very bad. And if we try to do good works, if we try to go to church, if we try to attend Easter once or twice a year, then God is going to accept us. No. When a person connects with the gospel, there's a fundamental change in their relationship to God. But for you to experience this change, you have to trust in what Jesus did for you so that your relationship can change. So that you can move from being an enemy of God to being God's friend. So that you can move your relationship with God to being in Adam to being in Christ. It's no use what Jesus did for you on the cross if you can't access it. It's just going to be a story that you hear, that you know that there was this person that came called Jesus, but it's really not going to change you. Think of this. Imagine you're about to board a plane to Cape Town. Imagine you're standing about to board a plane to Cape Town. What relationship do you need to have with the plane at this point? What relationship do you have to have to play at this point for you to go to Cape Town? Would it help to be under the plane, to be inspired by the authority of the plane? Under the plane. Would it help to, to be inspired by the plane? And say, one day I want to go to that plane. Would that help you get to Cape Town? Would it help you if you follow the plane? I'm going to follow the route of the plane. Whatever the plane is going, I'm going to follow it. Would that help you? Of course, the key relationship you need to have with the plane is not under, is not behind. You need to be in the plane. Why? Because by being in the plane, what happens to the plane will also happen to you. The question, did you get to Cape Town, is part of the bigger question. Did the plane get to Cape Town, right? And if the plane got to Cape Town, and you are in the plane, it means that you are also going to get to Cape Town. Can you say amen? amen. 
So it would be crazy for us to think, I'm in, I'm in Christ, but I'm not in the plane, right? To think that I'm a Christian, but I'm not in Christ. What you're saying is that there's a relationship shift, but actually there's no relationship change. You have to put your trust, you have to put your faith in Christ. Just like you have to put your faith in that plane and get inside and sit and the plane will get you to Cape Town. You have to put your faith in Christ. And so when you become a Christian, one of the most fundamental relationships that change, it's a relationship between you and God. Not only does your relationship between God change, but your relationship with others also change. Your relationship with others also change. At the core, all of us are prone to look at relationships to think, what can I get for myself? That's how we look at relationships. Very self-centered. What can I get for myself? We look at relationships and ask the question, how can I use this relationship to get what I want? I'm not just talking about husband and wife, romantic relationship. I'm talking about relationships in general. TikTok has become the primary disciple of our generation with regards to relationships. It teaches young people to focus on their happiness. It teaches young people to focus on their comfort. If a relationship is no longer serving you, what does it say? Leave it, right? If a man does not give so-called wife or girlfriend allowance, it says leave him. If a woman has had a difficult past with relationship before Christ, they say she's got too many baggages, don't marry her. If the people in church do not serve my specific preference of music or preaching, then I'm leaving. If nobody checked me in time of need, I'm going to look for the next church that's going to care for my desire. If I was offended or someone said something I didn't like, then all Christians are hypocrites and the church is fake. There's obviously a blessing in fellowship and knowing and being known. We need that. I saw this other illustration the other time. It says we left church, not God. We left church and not God. And so when the gospel comes to us self-centered, to us self-focused people who want what we can get out of relationships, it changes how we relate to people. It changes how we relate to people. We actually start to relate to people and see them as a blessing rather than getting what we want. The gospel becomes a reason that we are forced to actually care about somebody and make relationship work that previously you didn't care about. I want you to look at your text, chapter 1, verse 5. Look at how this gospel changed relationships in the life of Thessalonians. He says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you. Verse 6. You also became what? You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Having received the word during great affliction with the Holy Spirit with joy. So that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The gospel did such a transformative work. 
in the life of the Thessalonians that it changed who they looked up to. It changed who they imitated. It changed the heroes that they looked up to. Paul explains his time in Thessalonica in chapter 2. He goes to further detail. He speaks about how he preached the gospel in affliction. But then he quickly talks about his relationship with the Thessalonians. Look at chapter 2 from verse 5. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know. Not with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek honor from people, either from you or from others, though we could have asserted our authority as apostles of Christ. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. In the same way, we had a fond affection for you. And we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but also our lives, just because you have become very dear to us. You get an idea of Paul being with people doing ministry. The Thessalonians are watching his life. They're watching how he deals with being broke. They're watching how he deals with not having money. They're watching how he deals with being an apostle. They're watching how he deals with temptations to water down the gospel because of the affliction that he's facing. Look at verse 9, chapter 2. For you recall, brothers and sisters, our labor and hardship. It was by working night and day. So it's not to be a burden to any of you that we proclaim the gospel of God. You are witnesses and so is God of how devoutly and rightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we're exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of God who calls you into his, into his own kingdom. So what was the response of the Thessalonians when they received the gospel and they were witnessing this relationship that they had with the Apostle Paul? Look at verse 13. For this reason, now Paul is thanking God. He says, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it is, the word of God which is also at work in you who believe. Verse 14, For you brothers and sisters became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. When he talks about imitating, when he talks about example, that's relationship talk. Amen. They were impacted by the gospel and Paul's example that it literally changed their priorities. Amen. Instead of imitating the world, they began to imitate Jesus. Instead of following popular opinion and crowds, they started to follow Jesus' example. Instead of following influencers on social media, they probably didn't have social media by then, but... You get my point? Instead of following them, you get to follow Jesus. The gospel even changed the people they regarded as heroes. Amen. Jesus was their hero now that the gospel had come. The gospel changes relationship. It changes who you look up to. It changes who you hang out with. It changes who you treasure in your heart. It changes even your commitment to people. 
Before you didn't care about people. If someone did you wrong and sh- you know you shut down, you leave, you don't talk to them, you don't put any effort. But after the gospel comes, you now make it a point that you actually work at reconciling those relationships. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 verse 1. Paul says this, you don't have to turn there. As he talks to these two women, we don't know what it is that they were fighting about, but it's quite common. In any church, I can almost come and I know that there are two women who are not agreeing. It is just an observation that one has made. And so Paul in chapter 4 verse 1 says, I entreat you, dear, and I entreat Sinteke, Here's the union of Christ talk. To agree in the Lord. Amen. Sinteke and Yudia, before Christ you had no reason to agree. Sinteke and Yudia, before Christ, you could not talk. Before Christ, and it's fine that you're not talking. But after Christ, Paul says, I entreat them to agree in the Lord. So Christ gives us the motivation to work hard at our relationships. Colossians 3 verse 11. Here there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. So being in Christ allows us to to, to have different cultures, right? And be in the same church. Amen? I can be in relationship with a vendor. I can be in relationship with a songer. I can even be in relationship... With an American, praise the Lord. I can be in relationship with the poor. I can be in relationship with the rich. I can be in relationship, whether English or not English, it doesn't matter. If you are in Christ, or if you are in the church, and if you are in Christ, it means now it changes who you hang out with and who you have relationships. Amen. Not only changes those people that you are committed to in church, but it also changes your commitment in your marriage relationship. Amen. Before Christ, you could leave, you could leave your husband. You could leave your wife for anything. You could also decide to stay together before Christ, even if you are not married. But after Christ, your view of relationship change. Amen. You don't hold to this nonsense that we hear to say, but how can I own a car if I don't test drive it? Have you ever heard about that? In Christ, we get our orders from Jesus. In Christ, we have a covenant that forces us as husband and wife to keep working at the relationships even if the partner might not be acting right. Can the married people say amen? We imitate God and we imitate those people who are walking closely with God. It's important that you cultivate relationships. Cultivate relationships. The ultimate destination of heaven and hell will be determined by a relationship with Jesus. Your rewards in heaven as a Christian will be determined by how poorly and how well you treated people. The command that Jesus gave us was to make disciples. What is that? People, relationships. Go and make disciples. Go talk to people. 
Go have relationships. Go hang out with people. It's concerning especially for professionals that climbing the corporate ladder has been given priority. Chasing projects, chasing deadlines has been given a priority at the expense of building relationship with others. Coming to church is not just ticking a box. Guess what? It's a chance to build relationships with God. It's your chance to build relationship with others. Coming to a Bible study or an event is not measured against ocean. I had to mix a Netflix special. I had to mix a, 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 Mrs. a, a pirate or a chief's game. Now I have to go to church. No. You're going to miss a chance to know somebody and be known. Your growth in Jesus is dependent on how you see your weaknesses and taking your weaknesses and blind spots to Jesus. And spending time with people helps you with that. No matter how spiritual you are, you need other people so that you can grow and become like Jesus. How much time do you spend in relationships? Relationships with those that are older, Relationships with other Christians. Relationships with those that are less privileged than you. How much time do you spend cultivating, investing in relationships? Not only does the gospel change our relationship with God and with others, but it also changes our heart. This is my last point. The gospel changes our heart. Look at your Bibles. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8. It says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place the news of your faith to what God has gone out, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report to us the kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. Did you see that? What a reality, Bazalwa. What a reality. That this foolishness, this foolish message, foolish in the eyes of the world, when it reaches people's ears and hearts, God does something. Amen. God does a supernatural miracle and turns people that were worshipping idols to actually start loving God. Isn't that weird? He's a heart changer. He's a heart physician. He changes our hearts. Maybe you might ask, but the text says idols. Where do you find hearts there? It says he turned God from idols. We don't have statues. We are not in India here. We don't worship idols in Africa. Where do you find hearts? What does the idol do with heart? Definition of an idol. It is anything more important you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at in, in, your, in your heart, Keller says. And you say, if I have that, then I'll feel life has a meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something. 
But the best one is whatever you worship. That is your idol. Anything more fundamental than God to your happiness, to your meaning in life, to our identity is your idol. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dark cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. If there's anything that testifies to the power of the gospel, it's this right here. The ability of Jesus to do a fundamental change by changing idol worshippers to becoming Jesus lovers. Nobody can change anybody's heart. How do you make somebody want to do something, right? You can't do that. It takes something supernatural. That's why government, as we even heard in the last session, government can never be the solution for lasting change. They can give programs and try to educate people, shame about HIV programs and what what, but they can't change people's hearts. Amen. They can't change your heart to want to abstain from sex. They can't change that. They can't give you the desires to love God. They can't change your heart to love to read your Bible. They can't change your heart to love to come to church. When the heart is there, you don't have to worry about time or resources. You do it willingly. Amen. How do people change in such a way that they actually get to love what is right and hate what is wrong? It's not through programs. It's not through threatenings. It's not through punishment. It is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is through the gospel doing such a work. It is Jesus doing a heart surgery. A surgical work that's so deep that it goes beyond behavioral change. It actually changes what you love. It changes what you want to do with your time. It changes who you look up to. It changes everything about you. Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds all the issues of life. Out of the heart proceeds all the issues of life. Let's get a bit personal. The gospel does a deep change. The gospel does a deep change. There are certain idols that you might not be aware of that are controlling you. The issue is not that you are smoking. The issue is not that you are drinking. The issue is what controls your heart. You can have a power idol. Power. Where you're seeking success. You're seeking winning. You're seeking influence. And what's the price you're willing to pay for that idol? Relationships. Increased burdens. People around you may feel used. They may feel not important. And you may have emotion of anger, emotion of despair when you don't have power. Another idol that may control you is approval. You may be controlled by approval. Affirmation, love, relationship. To be approved and to be loved. What's the price that you're willing to pay for that? You can even break integrity so that other people can like you, right? And the people around you, they feel your neediness. They feel, hey, 
If I don't just say this person did a great job, you are in trouble. And the emotion that you may feel is insecurity, always insecure, feeling anger, feeling fearful. You can have a comfort idol, love of privacy, love of lack of stress, freedom, soft life. What's the price you're willing to pay for that? Reduce productivity. You're not working, you just wake up, you watch the TV all day, you just, you don't want to be bothered. TikTok all day, Netflix all day, idol of comfort. The people around you feel neglected, they feel hurt. Emotions that you may feel are ones of boredom. You are bored easily. You are bored easily because you love comfort. You can have an idol of control. You can have an idol of control. Self-discipline. Certainty. Standards. That's your, that's your thing. If people are not self-disciplined, if people are not lining up right, guess what? That messes up your heart. Your worst nightmare is uncertainty. Out of control. When you're not in control, that is your worst nightmare. And you may feel anxiety, stress, or anger. Why am I saying to you? I'm trying to show you the deep work. And I hope you're sitting here and you're like, Ish, he's talking to me. Yeah, because that's me as well. But we need the deep surgical work of the gospel. Amen? We need Dr. Jesus. This is a job for Dr. Jesus. We cannot change ourselves. We need Jesus to do not just a superficial change where and then we need a change that's going to change us from the inside. And it's interesting that the, the way that Jesus does it in the text, look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Look at how, look at how it does it. It says, They wait for his son from heaven who raised him from the dead and that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. So Jesus had to come and die for yours and my sin. What was preached in the last session? And what will we, what will we be excited about on Sunday as we talk about the resurrection? He not only died but he resurrected and God raised him from the dead. The text says, now presently, he rescues us from the wrath to come. Amen. He rescues, present tense, from the wrath to come. So what that means is, the resurrection is proof that Jesus is the right man, the right approved man to transform and change us. In fact, he keeps on rescuing us now. He says, later will rescue us from the wrath to come. But praise God, he continually rescues us daily from this world, every day. He's transforming us into God's image. He not only did it on the cross, but is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And by his spirit, he keeps on changing us. That's the good news. Amen. So in conclusion, Jesus changed our relationship with God from us being in Adam. 
to now begin God and in Christ. He changed our relationship with others from, from us beginning relationship for selfish reasons to actually begin relationship to imitate God to now begin relationship to actually be a blessing to people to now begin relationship to want to follow Jesus and follow those people who are following Jesus. But lastly, he also changes the heart from loving our idols to worshiping the true God. What is stopping you from not giving your life to him? Remember the illustration, you need to be in the plane. It's no, it's no use, you are impressed by Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, Praise God. No, you got to be in the play for you to get the benefits of being in Cape Town. It's only in Christ that we get the blessing. It's only in Christ that whatever Jesus had, we get. You don't get what Jesus has when you are not in Him. He's the only one that can do a thorough job of changing you. Whatever bondage, whatever addiction, whatever sin you've done, He can really, really change you from the inside out. So brothers, the gospel changes everything. It's not just a box we take. It's not just, you know, on your closet. It's just one thing. It changes your whole closet. It changes everything. So that we look at the world differently. We look at people differently. We look at ourselves differently because the gospel has come to us. Amen. Let's pray. And so Lord, we want to thank you for being thorough. Thank you for changing us deeply. Lord, I thank you that you didn't come and you just gave us money. Or you just gave us education. You, you came and you dealt with the problem from the inside and you changed us. You change our hearts, you change our desires, you change what we love. You change the things that are in bondage to us, you change that. Thank you for that. Lord, our challenge is that we're not allowing what you have done to be practical in our lives. And so we pray for your grace. We pray for your mercy to help us to look unto you, to not start with grace, but continue with works. But to keep on looking unto you, to keep on trusting you for change every day. Lord, there are many people that are sitting here that are in bondage to a lot of things, slaves to things. Lord, I pray for change. I pray that by your spirit you may change us. The gospel is powerful because it changes. And I thank you that you can do that. Forgive us for being these Christians that claim that we are changed by you. But actually we live like we are in bondage to other things. So change us Lord. May your spirit work in our hearts. May it do that, that operation that only you can do. That we may be changed from being idol worshippers. To keep on worshipping you. Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.